This morning, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai, chapter 2, as we finish up our series on the book of Haggai this morning. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to let you know where we're going. Uh, next week, we'll start a new series called Honest Prayers. And we'll be looking at... Let me ask a question. How many of you maybe felt guilty, felt like you were whining to God in your prayers? You Sometimes you, you, you go to God and you... You, you, you want to ask for the best things. You want to have this great sounding prayer, but you don't make you feel like you're whining. You don't know how to get your emotions out. You just feel like something is wrong. Your prayers just go from here to the ceiling, and that's all there is. And God, does God ever really hear it? We're going to look at the next four weeks at a whole series of honest prayers. We're looking at some of the prayers in the Bible and how some of the people in the Bible, they laid out their hearts. They laid out, they poured out their spirits before God, and they let God have it sometimes. They let them know they're angry. They let them know their fears. They let them know their frustrations and their sadness. And they were honest with God in their prayer time. So we're going to take a look at some of those. I want to encourage you, if, the, if you've ever struggled with that, or if you know people who struggle with that, invite them to come, invite them to watch, invite them to connect with, with what we're doing uh, here in person or online on our Facebook page or on YouTube. And uh, so they can connect with what God is teaching us in his word about how to Pray with our emotions, not just with our rote words that we've memorized all of our lives. So anyway, I encourage you. That's where we're going for the next couple weeks. Today, as we finish up the book of Haggai, finishing up the prophecy, or not prophecy, the communication from God to the people, as they're supposed to be building the temple, and they've slacked off in their job of building the temple. Let me ask a couple questions here. What will it take for you and me to fully commit to the Lord? What will it take for you and me to fully commit to the Lord? We've signed the card, we've prayed the prayer, we've bowed our knees and said, yes, God, I'm a Christian. But what is it going to take for us to fully commit everything that we are, heart, soul, mind, strength, to the Lord. When are we going to stop making excuses for neglecting our time with God for the sake of our living and our life and what we have? And we, a couple weeks ago we talked about God coming down on the Israelites because they were so busy making a living, building their houses and getting everything going and they totally neglected their time of worship, the time of devotion to Him, the time of coming together to spend time with God. And he came down on them and said, what are you doing? When are we going to make stop making excuses for that in our lives? Simply because we're making a living. There are times when life tries to make us think that our daily decisions are truly more significant than they are, right? You know, our fears, our angers, our frustrations, our joy, our rest, Sunday afternoon rest, our playtime, our work, our boredom. Sometimes we get to the feeling that those are more important more significant in our lives than they really are. When really what God is calling us to do is submit even those things to Him. Our fears, our angers, our frustrations, our playtime, work time, boredom time, playtime. See, His passion, God's passion for us goes way back to the beginning. It goes way back to the book of Genesis. His passion, His desire for us is twofold. One, to have a deep, meaningful relationship with Him, our Creator. And two, live our lives daily 
in such a way that all of the glory goes to him. You realize that? He desires this relationship. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and all of mankind from that point on was separated in their relationship from God. God made a way. He communicated the way. He'd already planned it out. It wasn't like he said, oh man, now I've got to figure this thing out. How am I going to get mankind back into this perfect relationship with me again? He already knew as the omniscient God, he already knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He already knew that Satan was going to be kicked out of heaven. He already knew that you and I were going to be here. He already knew that he was going to have to become Jesus, the Messiah, and die for our sins for that relationship with you and I. He already knew that. And he desires that we live our lives in such a way that all of the glory goes to him. All of the glory, whether it's promotions at work, whether it's you have something great happen, or you have something horrible happen. We still give God the glory in all of those things. Period. The good and the bad and the mediocre. God gets all of the glory. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> and those are good words. Just give God all the glory all the time. Yes, Pastor, I've got it. I, I know I need to do that. It's easier, much easier said than done. Because our emotions get in the midst middle of us. Our emotions drive us crazy. But that is the goal. And generally speaking, we get about 70 plus years to work on that in our lives, right? Generally speaking, we get to work on becoming more like him. We get to work on giving him the glory and making him glorified in our lives through our whole lives. We get about 70-ish, 80-ish years. Depends on how, when you became a believer. I became a Christian when I was seven years old, so hopefully I'll have 70, 80, 90 years to work on it. 100 years maybe. We'll see if I'm like my grandmother who passed away at 104. We'll see. See how God preserves. However long God has me here, however long God has you here, we need to be working on giving him the glory, lifting him up, and serving him every day. So in discussion of this rebuilding of the temple, this is what the focus is in this last part of chapter 2. We'll be in chapters, chapter 2, verses 6 to 14 this morning. Look first at verses 6 to 9. It says, where God, His glory shakes the nations. God's glory shaking the nations. I love this. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, as Haggai is communicating this to the people of Israel. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations. So that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. His glory will shake the nations. Now, this past week, if you watch the news, you know that there was a big earthquake in Haiti. The buildings got shook. People got shook. Many people lost their lives. We're not talking about a building shaking, kind of nation shaking. We're talking about people shaking in their boots, kind of shaking. Cowboy getting ready to walk out there on a quick draw, 
or somebody getting ready to jump up on a wild bronco. They're literally shaking in their boots. That's where that comes from. And the cowboys would say, I know you're shaking in your boots, but jump up on the horse anyway. I know you're shaking in your boots, but get out there and do it anyway. I know you're shaking in your boots, but you got to go through with it. So here we're seeing the nations of the world shaking in their boots because of the glory of God. They're literally going to recognize his sovereignty and be awestruck, right? They're going to recognize him for who he is. This temple is being built in Israel so that God can proclaim his glory through all the nations that are there. In an attempt for Israel to step up and reclaim its place where God intended, become that center point for all the nations to hear about God. The church is that today. The church is that center point. Now we are proclaiming the glory of God to the nations around us. Here in Thornton, here in Denver area, here in Colorado, our church is part of that network that is proclaiming the glory of God. As we send our missionaries out around the world to different nations, they're going out in our behalf, in our stead, and proclaiming the glory of God, drawing people into worship, into the ministries where God has called them. Philippians 2, 9-11 talks about this a little bit. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Talking about Jesus. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, in heaven and on earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every person will have to bow their knee and humbly submit to God's awesomeness. We will all have to do it. Everyone in this world is going to have to do it. You're either going to do it now in this world, or you're going to do it later in front of him in heaven, and he's going to say, I'm sorry, I never knew you, and cast him out into the utter darkness. You only have one chance, one life, and we have the ability to bow our knee and submit to him now, right here, while you have breath in your lungs. Don't wait and be the one who stood before God and said, God, I thought I just had more time. I'm only 30 years old. I'm only 40 years old. I'm only 20 years old. Surely I've got more time. Or I'm 60 years old. Surely I've got more time. Or I'm a teenager. Surely I've got lots of time. Don't be that one who stands before God and run out of time. And you have to humbly submit. You have to submit to God's lordship when it's too late. The nations will be shook to the core, recognizing this one thing, that God is God and they are not, right? God is God and they are not. That's what they have to recognize. That's what we'll, Everybody's got to come to that realization. There is one God over our lives. He is God and we are not, yeah. <laughs> right? We all want to take full responsibility. We want to control everything about our destiny, about our future, about our families. But he is God. The lie of the devil is that you can become God, that you can become God of your own life. The lie of the devil with Adam and Eve was that you can make your own choices and there'll be no consequences. Yeah. <laughs> That's a person who thinks they're God. They can make all their own choices and have no consequences. God is God. Not me, thankfully, not you, more thankfully. Because I know my decisions, right? 
I know all my decisions would be right in my own thinking. I don't trust your decisions, but I do trust God's. I'm glad that he is God and we are not. But the world is going to come to that realization. We're all going to come to that realization at some point in our lives, either now or later. Don't let it be later. Make that decision now. This week I was driving my Uber. And in my car I had a 29-year-old gentleman driving to work. And as I usually do, I've always got my spiritual antenna up and I'm looking for opportunities to have gospel conversations with, with people all the time, whether it's in my Uber or at the at Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A or even the Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, or maybe the gas pump. My girls like to uh, take bets on how long it's going to take me to talk to the person on the other, the other side of the gas pump and just to strike up a conversation and talk to them about Jesus. I'm always looking for opportunities. I may not ever get to the point where they bow their knee and they receive Jesus. I may never get into the gospel with them. But I'm always looking for opportunities to move people down the line on their spiritual journey. So that at some point, somebody will share with them and they can come to that point in their faith, in their faith journey where they receive Jesus. I want to be just that one next step for them. So I'm sitting in my car driving down 270, taking this guy to work. We begin having this conversation. It comes out that I'm a pastor, conveniently. Because they always ask the question, what do you do besides Ubering? Well, I pastor a church. Really? Some people are like, oh, that's nice. Some people are like, it speaks your interest and we have a conversation about it. So this kid, he goes, well, let me ask you a question, pastor. I said, okay, sir. And he proceeds to ask me a question about whether man really has free will or the God is totally sovereign over the world and directs every little detail of our lives as a producer, writer, director of a movie book. And he's hung up on this idea that man does not have free will, which we know the Bible teaches. Man does have free will. We also know the Bible teaches that God is totally sovereign and understands and knows everything about us and what's going to happen. Two sides of the same coin. He was hung up on this and could not get into his mind that we do, as God's creation, really do have free will. We can choose to make the right decision. We can choose to make the wrong decision. We can choose one or choose two. Just because God knows the answer does not mean that we don't have a free will to make that choice ourselves. Ultimately, he fell into the same trap as Satan by trying to set himself up as God, by dictating and saying that my choices. In fact, he even got to the point where he said, we need to rewrite the Bible to fix some of these issues. And I said, well, well, who's going to be in charge of rewrite the Bible? You? I don't trust you. I don't trust most people. I especially don't trust anybody messing with God's word. I only trust God who wrote this and gave it to man. I don't trust mankind to change what's in here, to fix Fix it for culture. God's word is God's word. And there is no changing. But in his mind, he set himself up as God. The same thing that Satan has tricked so many people into doing. And in his, unfortunately, he got out of my car. And I hope I moved him down the faith journey a little bit. 
But as he got out, my, my thoughts went to an Indiana Jones movie. He chose poorly. He chose poorly. He chose the wrong cup. The cup that leads to death. In that idea, does the idea of the temple and the church being that place right now where God is using to bring people to worship, does God really need the temple? Or does God really need the church to bring about his glory? Does he really need that? Of course not. These are just buildings. God can use anything to bring about his glory. When I was going driving through North Korea, I was, as I was driving down the road to where we put up our wind turbines, I looked at the trees out the taxi window, and the trees, at that point, the, all the leaves and the branches were lifted up like this. My mind went to the passage in the Bible where it says, even the rocks and the trees cry out to God. Where God's word cannot be proclaimed, even the rocks and trees will cry, cry out to him. And I looked up and I saw the the branches of the trees lifted up to heaven and I was like, God, even here, nature is pointing to you. God does not even need us. God does not need a church. He doesn't need our church. He doesn't need the one down the street. He doesn't need the temple. But by including us in his plan, we get to be witnesses to his majesty and his awesomeness. By including us in the plan to reach the world, we get to be included and be witnesses to all that he is doing. But it's not like we're his pets. Like we got chickens in our backyard, we got a dog. It's not like he treats us as pets. Like, oh, come here, we'll give you a little biscuit, you'll be happy. We get to be partners with him to witness all that he's doing. You think about the constellations in the sky, right? Think about the we, we well, can't see it right now all the smoke and the smog from California, all their all the wildfires. But normally on a clear night, when you can see the constellations, and NASA tells us there's only 88 constellations that we can see in our sky, our human, our, our earthly sky, 88 constellations that we've put together. Think of what God. Has created beyond what our eyes can see. We've seen pictures from the Hubble telescope and other places of, of the different galaxies, different solar systems. I mean, we're, we are little people on a little planet, in a little solar system, in a little galaxy, in a great big universe, held in the hand of an even greater, bigger God. What's in perspective? As God created this universe, do you think maybe he created things just so that he could enjoy them? He created the stars and the constellations and all the stuff around us so that he could, get, he could receive the glory about it? There's a thing we watch every Christmas time talking about the star of Bethlehem. And one of the, the uh, guy who puts it together talks about the stars. If you look at the earth from the sun's perspective, at the time of Jesus' birth, the constellations formed the face of a lamb about the time that Jesus was born. Mankind could not see that. Only from the, the distance of the sun, looking from that direction at the earth, could you see some of these great pictures. God created so much. Only he and the angels and the saints before us get to enjoy it. 
One day we'll get to enjoy it too. We can spend eternity as God just look over here. Here's a picture for you. Look over here. Here's a picture for you. Look over here. Look what I did over there. Look what I did over there. Look what I did over there. And look at this person over here that I changed. Look at this person over here that I changed. Look at this life that's been transformed by my gospel. Look at this life that has been changed. It's not just those massive things. It's even the little things that God is concerned about. And we bring his glory out as well. The heavens were made for his enjoyment. We were made for his enjoyment as well. We were made that he might enjoy us and we might enjoy him. Look what happens when the nations get shook. When, as, God comes, as God's temple is built up and, and worship comes back into the bear. Look at verses 7 and 8 as he says, And I will shake all the nations, so the treasures of the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says Lord Post. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares God. Look what happens when, when all the nations are shook. All the treasures of the earth come flowing into the temple. All the treasures of the earth come flowing into God. That which they hold dear is given up and given over to God. And we look at our bank accounts, we look at our wallets. That's our gold and silver. That's our treasure. The nations, when they are shook, what they treasure will come pouring in all that they hold dear. What do we hold dear today that keeps us from experiencing the glory of God? What do we hold dear in our lives that keeps us from fully experiencing the glory and presence of God? Have you been shaken by God's glory? Have you? The nations are going to be shook, shaken in their boots. Have you been shook by God's glory? Picturing him and all that he's got out there. See, because his, he says his future glory, in verse 9, his future glory is going to outpace what anybody has experienced in the past. Look at verse 9. It says, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says God, Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will bring, I will give peace. In this place, I will bring peace. When you are shook to the roots, when you're shook to the, the very base and you're, you're willing to give it all because you realize nothing I have is as important as my worship of God. Nothing that I have. And I'm shook. And we give it to God. We lay it at his feet. We say, God, all I have is yours. He says, I'll give peace. I'll give you peace. True peace. The Bible says it passes understanding. A true peace that we can just relax in his presence, knowing that he's got things under control. A true peace. But on the other hand, what happens if we refuse? What happens if we continue to live in sin? God answers that as well in the next couple of verses. This is glory rejects our sin. Look at verse 10. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai by the prophet. Came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. 
If someone carries holy meat into the fold in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any other kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of those of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Yes, it does. And Haggai answered and said, verse 14, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. See, in the Old Testament, and this is what this is going back to, is he's asking the priest to remind the people when they come to work, when they come to work on the temple, when they come to bring to worship, when they come to offer their sacrifices, if they come with an unclean heart, their sacrifice is unclean. If they come with an unclean heart to work, their work is unclean. If they come with an unclean heart to worship, their worship is unclean. And honestly, this passage here kind of freaked me out a little bit. It kind of freaked me out as I was reading and studying it. Because how we live matters to God. How we come before him matters to God. How we live our lives on a daily basis, how we approach him and worship matters to him. And I'd ask myself, how do I come before you on Sunday mornings? With what attitude do I come into worship? When I come before you into the presence in my quiet times, with what attitude do I come in? Is it with a clean heart? One that has been cleansed of sin and, and opened up and said, God, here I am. I want to meet with you or do I have a secret sin in my life or secret attitude that's not pleasing to him? And I come before him and say, God, I'm just going to read my Bible today. And then we wonder why our prayers only hit the ceiling and why our Bible reading time doesn't seem to go anywhere. You know, and if it matters to him, it should matter to us, right? When we were in school, we, we, we conformed to our, our teacher's standards uh, on test taking and the way we behaved in class. If it mattered to them, what I wrote down, it mattered to me. If they didn't care, I didn't care. I would do just enough sometimes to get by on my tests or my papers. And I found out sometimes that what I thought they didn't care about, they really cared about. And then my grade reflected that. <laughs> But if something matters to God, it ought to matter to us as well. And coming before him with a clean heart, ready to worship, ready to open up ourselves to listen for the Holy Spirit, ought to matter. So let me ask this question. Does our conversation honor God? Does your conversation with others, does it honor God? Does our work ethic in school or work, does it honor God? Do our relationships, do they honor God? Does our playtime honor God? Those things we do in, on the side just to relax and recreation, is, does our playtime, does it honor God? Do my social media posts honor God? Or am I being cutting and biting just for the sake of sticking to the man? Do my social media posts. Is there an attitude that I'm harboring which dishonors him? 
Is there a personal relationship I'm in which dishonors him? Am I harboring bitterness and anger towards someone and therefore unable to honor God in that relationship? See, God takes these things very seriously. And how we approach God, how we come in to church, how we come in to worship. Because remember, every aspect of our lives, I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings, but it has a big part. That's when we meet together for worship. I'm talking about as we live our lives daily, in your personal quiet times, in your prayer time, as you live your life daily, our lives ought to be lived in such a way that God is glorified in everything. Not some things, not most things, not a few things, everything. Let's right? don't be like the Israelites and come before God and clean. That's what he was calling them to. He says, when you come to work on the temple, when you come to build up this temple to create a place for people to come and worship, make sure your heart is right. Make sure there's no uncleanness in your system. Make sure that you have done all that is necessary so when the rock is put in place on this temple, that rock is clean. When you bring offerings to the temple, those offerings are clean. Those sacrifices are clean. In 1 Corinthians, in case you think this is just an Old Testament thing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul has a word to say this about to the Corinthian church who were really taking the Lord's Supper and they, they were really corrupting the Lord's Supper. It was, became more of a, a food orgy than anything else. They would just all just ugh, dive in and they just really abused the Lord's Supper. It became this huge feast rather than a commemoration of what God had done. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, he says, Let a person examine himself, then and so then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. How we live our lives on a daily basis and how we approach God in worship matters to him. Old Testament, New Testament, now. When we approach God so flippantly, he can't bless us like he, like he wants to. We approach God with just his attitude of, Oh, he'll forgive me. Oh, it's okay. He knows what I've been through. You come to God flippantly. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about Almighty God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not just our best friend, though he is our best friend. He's not just a savior or some guy we read about in a book. He is God. Verses 15 through 19 describes what happens when Israel treated him very flippantly in their relationship. He says, now then, consider from this day onward, consider from this day onward, before a stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail, and yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. The people of Israel treated their relationship with God so flippantly. 
And he's trying to get their attention. He says, when you come to the vat and you're trying to draw out the oil and you find half of what you expect or a third of what you expect, or you go to the come to the heap of straw, keep a heap of wheat, and you try to get 20 measures and only 10. I'm trying to get your attention. But the people still didn't turn to him. And he goes on. He says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this. Is the seed yet in the barn? Has harvest happened yet? Indeed, the vine is on the fig tree. The pomegranate, the olive tree, have yielded nothing. But he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. I've been trying to get your attention, and now that I've got your attention, now that you're coming back to me, in humility, and in sincere desire to worship, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. God struck them where it hurt, trying to get their attention. God struck them where it hurt, trying to draw them into his presence. What's it going to take to get our attention? What's it going to take to get our attention? Regina has a cousin who tells a story about God had called him to preach. God called him so that we wanted him to be a pastor. You're going to say, okay, God, later. Okay, God, later. Okay, God, later. i got to provide for my family first. And he kept driving the truck, kept driving the truck, kept driving the truck, kept driving the truck. One day his truck broke down, and he was in the back changing a tire or something. And another came, car came by and sideswiped him. Paralyzed him from the waist down. So now he's no longer able to drive the truck. But you know what he is doing? Preaching. Know what he is doing? Working in the church as a pastor. I don't want us to miss the point that God is trying to get some of our attention. I don't know what it's going to take. For Israel, he hit them where it hurt. In the wine vats, the oil vats, the wheat fields. Some people, maybe your car breaks down over and over and over again. God's like, I'm just trying to get your attention. In this cousin's case, he's paralyzed because he refused to listen to God as God was trying to get his attention. His story, not ours. His testimony, not just mine. What's God going to do to get our attention? Remember this, as I mentioned in the beginning, his passion, his desire for us is to have a deep, meaningful relationship with our Creator. And number two, live our lives daily in such a way that all the glory goes to him. As we look at our lives, as we look at our church, as we look at our worship times together, God's not just some benevolent dictator out there waiting to stomp us and, and destroy us and hurt us. He really wants the best for us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to have a great, wonderful life. But he can't bless us like he wants to when we're in rebellion to him, whether it's our attitude, our heart. So as we come before him, make sure our hearts are clean. As we come before him and leading in worship, make sure we're coming before him clean. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes?
just for a minute as Karis comes up to lead us in the final song. Where are you this morning? Where's your heart? How clean is your heart this morning? What's it going to take? What's it going to take for God to get your attention and my attention? As I was finishing up studying yesterday, I decided to spend some time in here praying with God as God was smacking me upside the head, letting him let me know that I wasn't where I needed to be. Where are you in your relationship? This morning, you just by uplifting hand, you'd say, David, my heart is not where it needs to be. I've been coming before God unclean. My heart is not where it needs to be in relation to God. And I need his healing this morning. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's tough. It's tough. Lord God, you saw the hands that went out this morning. Those that freely admitted their heart's not where it needs to be. But you're working on them. You are working on them. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to commit our lives to you in such a way that the world might see Jesus in us. We come before you with clean hearts, clean hands, ready to serve with a proper attitude. I pray, Lord God, that as we leave here this morning, that you would be glorified in us. You would be glorified through us. Your name would be great in the world, in the city, because of us. As we proclaim your greatness, we sing of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you raise your hand this morning and you feel like talking to me afterwards, I'll be at the back. I'd be glad to sit down and talk to you. If you're watching online this morning and feel like God is talking to you and they know that you need to talk to somebody up at the contacts page, contacts area of our, of our Facebook page there or YouTube page, there's a contact information for our church. Give us a call so we can talk with you, so we can communicate with you, so we can let you know what your next steps are in the spiritual journey that we're on together. God loves you. He desires you. This intimate, deep relationship with you don't leave today. Don't go another day without renewing the relationship with Him. But now we're going to stand and sing about the King of our heart. We're going to stand and sing about the glory of God this morning. This cares leads us in one final song. Let's be singing and singing.